2017, our president, Cyril Ramaphosa, said the country's, uh, who was then the country's deputy president and chairperson of SANIC, uh, launched uh, the country's fourth national HIV plan. The document left sex workers, concerned scientists and human rights fuming. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is, of course, because there was no policy clarity on what exactly had been decided. Now, Miamalan is now going to be talking us through a very thought-provoking piece uh, that she was working on and looking at various examples in different parts of the world around the phenomena of decriminalization of sex work and its direct nexus between rates of infection of HIV and also violence against women. Uh, Mia, thank you so very much for making the time to come into the studio. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, we've got some shocking statistics here. and It says that South Africa has between uh, our 121,000 and 167,000 sex workers, of which 90% or 91% are female. A study in 2013 commissioned by the South African AIDS Council revealed. Now, that's a very large number of, of people, and that's a 1913 study. I'm sure the figures are considerably different now. And then it also says that between 40 and 72% of South African female sex workers in Johannesburg, Durban and Cape Town are in fact infected with HIV. A 2014 University of California, San Francisco study found and further research published in Lancet in 2014 revealed that 6% of the country's new HIV infections can actually be traced back to sex workers and their clients. Now the reason why I highlighted those statistics because I thought it kind of focuses, you know, the attention that you wanted to draw on this matter. We've got a large percentage of people that are involved in transactional sex. Uh, some call themselves sex workers, others don't, but it's transactional sex essentially. And then of course we've got these uh, creeping figures of, of HIV AIDS. And of course we come from a long history of fighting for the rights of those living with the disease and, and their, their, their right to treatment. What was the most um, profound thing out of the study that you conducted that 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 you found um, and that South African policymakers should actually take into consideration. So I think two things are very obvious in all research studies and also in the in the countries that I looked at that the two main things that are barriers to that are very dire public health consequences in the sex worker world is the amount of violence that you have and what the HIV infection rate is. And there's a very close link between violence and how fast HIV spreads for two reasons. The one is that if you're in a situation where there's a threat of violence, then it is much harder to, to negotiate for condom use. Mm. You probably can't do it at all. And the other thing is that there's trauma. So yes. there might be lacerations and HIV enters your blood much easier. So once you have those two things within a legal framework that helps it to thrive, yes. HIV spreads very, very fast. And if you have a criminalized environment, mm. research shows us that as soon as you criminalize an activity, the services that is offered to the general population becomes far less accessible to that population. And for me, the shocking part in figures is that that is very visible in South Africa. If mm. you look at sex workers in Johannesburg, 72% of sex workers are infected with HIV. This is not an estimation. This is like actual population that was tested. Mm. 
fewer than a quarter of them take up antiretroviral treatment. If you compare that figure to the general female population in the country, the general female population, there's an uptake of more than 70%. Now, the argument is not just to keep people alive. It is that ARVs can literally prevent Mm. the spread of the virus. If you use antiretroviral drugs correctly and consistently, you reach a stage where that doctor's call virally suppressed. And that means that it becomes scientifically impossible possible for you to transmit the virus to others. So the more people you get onto treatment and that you get to use the treatment correctly, the slower HIV will spread because they won't be able to transmit it. But if you have a legal framework where you make it very hard for people to access services and also to report abuse, because how do you report abuse if you do an illegal profession? And there's research in South Africa that shows us that it's not just clients who are abusive, that the police is very involved as well. This is the one thing I wanted to raise with you in reading your your piece. Um, one of the poignant stories is, of course, the um, uh, police officer who routinely harasses the sex worker and then one evening just decides that he's going to go beyond harassment and actually rape her uh, and ask her uh, to perform a sexual act without any protection. And then, of course, also, um, you know, penetrate her anally and leaves her vulnerable. That person is obviously not going to trust the law enforcement agency whose representative had just violated her rights. Now, if you have uh, criminality, first of all, as you've uh, spoken about, or illegality, you have abuse by the very people who are meant to uphold the law. And of course, if you look at the position of women in South Africa, just in terms of power relations, we are at the bottom of the rung. You have a very toxic mix of, of, of um, you know, ingredients here, which makes the fight against HIV all the more difficult. Absolutely. And it's not even just only about trust, not tr- trusting the police. Um, the, the rape that you mentioned of a person in the story is actually not that that rare. A study has shown that one out of three sex workers that were interviewed in Gauteng said they had been raped by the police. And it's not just in South Africa, it's in other countries where it's been criminalized as well. Yeah. And also departments work against each other. The health department hands out condoms um, among sex workers because they want to prevent HIV infection. And there are so many incidences where the police goes and they confiscate those very same condoms um, that the health department has handed out Mm. because of this criminalized environment. And decriminalizing sex doesn't just mean make it legal. It means treat it like any other profession, obviously with negotiations with communities as to where you can have, you know, where sex workers can operate from. Now, there's one country in the world that has fully decriminalized sex work, and that's New Zealand. Um, There's also parts of Australia that has done it. All the other countries that have have legalized it, you know, that that, that accept sex work. And then there's also obviously, um, you know, just fully criminalized and in a country like new zealand um the law commission they did research that university that helped them to look at has there been an increase of sex workers since they decriminalized it in 2003 and they found absolutely no increase in sex workers which is proof to us that if you criminalize it all you do is you push it underground it's and if you decriminalize it you don't all of a sudden have a spike in the number of sex workers you just 
open up ways to regulate it in safer ways. Mm-hmm. Now, decriminalization is not a sort of just the advocacy argument. Mm-hmm. Very prominent organizations have called for it because it's evidence-based from a public health perspective. So UNAIDS has called for it. The World Health Organization has called on countries to decriminalize it. In South Africa, Kusatu supports decrim. We thought the ANC supported it, and now we interviewed the yes. Deputy Minister of Justice, and he says it's not the case, so we're not the quite sure. And there is something sort of strange happening that all our previous HIV plans had arguments in for, for decriminalization, and now we launched a fourth one, and at the last moment, it was taken out. Civil, civil society had a lot of input, you know, they're, they're legally required to put input, to get input into the plan, and between the last draft that they saw and the one that cabinet approved, everything about decriminalization disappeared. Mia, that's a very important point. The policy um, obscurity in which we are functioning, particularly against what you've pointed out as um, evidence-based information that shows us that where sex work is decriminalized, there isn't necessarily a spike. And in the piece that I read that you wrote, we also see um, the number of infection rates coming down. And of course, that is what we want here in South Africa. It's just gone 16 minutes after nine o'clock. This is the Karima Brown Show. I'm in conversation with the director of Becky Sisa Health Journalism Center at the Mail and Guardian. And we're talking about the link between decriminalizing sex work, uh, violence, and the rate of HIV. And of course, this is a subject that people feel very passionately about. We live in a conservative society. Uh, many people um, uh, will believe that, um, you know, this is blasphemy. There are others that will say that uh, people can exercise agency and choice. But more importantly, if this is regularized and legalized, that you can actually then protect people and you are able to save lives and you're able to prevent women from uh, being harmed. So I'd like our listeners to call in and give their views and engage with Mia on the subject. Uh, The number to dial is 011-883-0702. You can also send me an SMS on 31702 and a WhatsApp message on 072-702-1702. 702. SMS Karima on 31702. Now, Mia, you spoke about the fact that um, at the conference there was an expectation that decriminalization was going to be a big part of our approach to dealing with HIV. Uh, you've spoken about one alliance partner that has come out firmly. I remember years ago when Jesse Duarte was the um, Minister for Safety and Security, uh, the MEC, she was on the verge of doing it and then it was pulled back because there was this backlash from, um, you know, religious institutions and a whole range of, of other organizations. Um, and of course, the arguments that these people put th- uh, forward are not evidence based. They are not based on data. They are based on people's individual religious beliefs, um, uh, their ethical value systems and so on. But a government is responsible for the public health of a population. How big um, an issue is this for political parties? And do you think the ANC skipped this because we're going into an election year? You know, everyone is wondering about that. Mm. And I think there is huge disagreement in government. There are 
there are opinions on both sides. For instance, the deputy police minister openly supports Degrim. Mm. He was at the AIDS conference in July in Amsterdam and he was very vocal that we should decriminalize sex work. I'm not sure how many people in the Justice Department mm. support it because when our law commission came out, our reform commission, with a report that took them 20 years to publish, they were commissioned in 1997 to look at reforming sex um, work law and it was only published in 2017. Unbelievable. And when Two decades. And what they recommended was two things. They were very clear that they don't regard sex work as work and they were very clear that they don't regard it as a reasonable means of income. May, may what was the explanation? Because I, I see in the article there's also a definition of decent work. So is sex work not decent work? Well, they used both words. The actual sentence was, we don't consider sex work as work or decent work. And then in the same sentence, as a reasonable means of income. And their argument is that many people become sex workers because of socioeconomic conditions and that they don't consider sex work as a choice. They consider it as something that you do because of your circumstances. And they also argued that this could increase the possibility of trafficking for, for sex work. And we have evidence, for instance, in New Zealand where it didn't increase it. And this is quite a common argument in the world where people don't support decriminalization, that they would frame sex work as something that is only victim-based and that is only, you know, that, that, that people get no agency. If you look at international labor organization figures, 60, two-thirds of trafficking in the world happens in the labor sector and agriculture, yes. in, um, you know, and people who work in factories for clothing. And what do we do there when people get trafficked? We empower them. We give unions power to give them a voice. We increase um, safety measures. We look at what rights they have. What do we do with sex work? We make it illegal. We drive mm. it more underground and make it more difficult to control. And obviously, the obvious component here that is different between this and another profession is there's a moral component yes and of course it's our attitude towards sex uh, which of course is the reason why there's so much stigma attached to anything to do with this uh, because people have different views on it it's one of the reasons why we struggle in our battle against HIV because people don't want to talk honestly about a who they have sex with uh, you've done the research most people lie about who they have sex with and we also know that in South Africa and in the world people have multiple and concurrent partners people don't just have sex with the people that they, they technically uh, either either married to or have open relationships with. Uh, and of course, any diseases that are communicable during, during that act uh, will then out a person's um, behavior. And do you think that is at the root of why people are so anti, um, you know, very measurable instruments that you can use to actually save lives, save families, empower women, regularize an industry, and in a place like the Netherlands, even tax it? Well, in the Netherlands, it's taxed because it's regarded as a a normal job, yeah, basically. Yeah, it's a profession. Yeah, so you keep the most sex workers. They have Excel spreadsheets, and they've got bookkeepers, and they keep track of what they've done. And they, for instance, rent um, in window brothels. They would rent rooms, and they allowed to take that cost of the rooms off the the tax that they pay. But 
you know, in the Netherlands where, where sex work is legal and it's quite a, a progressive form of legalization there, um, many countries, some countries that have legalized it have many rules. Like mm. you, you, they force people to sex workers to go for HIV tests or to be STI free, but no forcing for the clients, right? Yes, it's only yes, the sex yes. workers. But in, in the Netherlands, there there's no rule like that. But a very interesting figure there that is very, very clearly visible of the impact of, of such an environment is sexually transmitted infections other than HIV is very important to treat for HIV prevention because they yes. make it easier to contract HIV. And in Amsterdam, the latest cities figure shows that the STI rate, for, for instance, for gonorrhea among female sex workers is half that of the general female population because it's a freely accessible. There's special sex worker clinics. South Africa also has sex worker clinics that the government supports and it's run by NGOs, but it's within a criminalized environment. Mm. Mm. So for sex workers just to get to the clinic yes. and then decide to go, there's so many barriers along the way. Yeah. Um, although, I mean, at these clinics in our country, that are there are 25 of them. You know, health workers have been sensitized, but there yes. are, as you've mentioned, almost almost 200,000 sex workers. Yes. Those clinics are not nearly enough. Absolutely. And of course, I mean, we, we see the same with things like um, women's reproductive health rights. Uh, you have the rights of the person to make decisions about his or her body, but then health workers also have their rights charter uh, so that they can exercise their conscience. So um, sometimes our rights are put against each other. And in most cases, um, you have the right that is least progressive, that, that trumps you know, the right of the person uh, to have agency over her body. Um, I often find, Mia, that when when people talk about women, they say women and children, and it's almost like they infantilize us. You know, we are children. We can't make decisions for ourselves. It's like the point that you're making that uh, people think that uh, uh, prostitution and sex work is only as a consequence of people being forced to do it. You've interviewed women who are law students who know their rights, uh, who do it to augment their salaries. One woman said she makes very good money out of it. She and her husband were, uh, went to the Netherlands. They opened a business. Um, you know, he helps her get ready for clients. Um, they've taken the, let's say, the morality, if you like, out of it and just looked at it in a very clinical way. She's healthy. She's got a family. She's loved. Uh, she's not, you know, some rooms even have panic buttons if, if people are violent. Um, I mean, it makes so much more sense uh, to approach it in a rational way. What stands in the way of of countries such as ours approaching it in a rational way, apart from the lack of of services? Is it is it the mentality of the overall population? Is it the lack of political will? Is it a combination of both? I think it's conservatism, in my opinion. I think there's a very strong religious component um, in many parts of South Africa that makes it unacceptable to endorse sex work and that almost makes it unacceptable to not speak out against it. I think um, if you look at research, there are three main reasons why people stay in sex work. The one is the financial benefit. Yes. They earn three to five times more. It is true that it's often very, often people with not many skills to sell in other professions, not always, but it's a common feature. They like the flexibility of the hours because mm -hmm. you can just, if you have kids, you can decide when you're going to work. And they like the camaraderie. There's mm. a very strong sense of camaraderie among sex workers. You know, there was a sex worker that I spoke to in Amsterdam. Mm. Um, 
And she said, you know, sex work is obviously quite a dangerous profession. But for her, the challenge of sex work, this actual sex is the least of her problems. It's yes. just a service. It's a bodily service. For her, the biggest problem is the discrimination. She yes. says the fact that if you then get married to someone who's not a sex worker, that the family will never accept you. Yes. Or that even if you move on to another profession, that you will always carry that stigma of what you used to do. Mm. And I think that is a very big challenge and obviously a, a, a reflection of as a society, not just our prejudice, but also how you've mentioned how we think about sex, but also how conservative we sometimes think and how we can't still feel safe within ourselves if someone else doesn't follow our rules. Yes. And the issue here is if someone does a job that you don't find morally acceptable or that, or that you wouldn't do, the, the, the ethical issue is does the other person deserve to be punished yes. if they don't do harm to other people? Yes. Now, of course, some people will argue, well, many studies show that sex workers' clients are, are very often married men you know, are you not breaking up marriages? Mm. My argument would be those people would have had sex with other people in any, any case. case. And probably not pay for it. And and the people that they have sex with not being tested to see if they actually have STIs. I've got one SMS here that's quite interesting, Mia. It says, hi, Karima, sex work like sex before marriage is a moral issue in South Africa. We must stop quoting other countries. We can't be okay with it simply because other countries are uh, doing it and that is from Malaga um, and then of course it raises the point of um, people trying to say that in South Africa we have a special set of circumstances um, we have special rules that we have special beliefs I mean I don't believe that that is true I mean there are conservative societies all over the world isn't there absolutely I, I think there's a you know that conservatism in every country and I think in Africa in every African country, there's that aspect. And many African countries, for instance, Senegal and Mali, have legalized sex work. In fact, I was going to come to that. Uh, many people, when we, you talk about decriminalizing sex work, they will say, no, that's a Western concept. Our culture doesn't allow it. And you have quoted two African countries that have actually gone the route of legalizing uh, uh, sex work. Just take us through um, the processes and what the results have been uh, so far. And don't forget, you can, of course, come uh, uh, participate in this conversation. O double one double eight three o seven o two, and you can also SMS us on three one seven o two, and you can WhatsApp us on o seven two seven o two one seven o two. And I know this is a very uh, sensitive sensitive subject, so if you don't want to use your real name, you are welcome to use a pseudonym, and you can also, of course, leave us a voice note so that we can play that voice note in, uh, so that we can have maximum participation and hear views that we perhaps don't ordinarily here on the radio. Mia, your um, um, take on what has happened in these two African countries, what led to them, first of all, doing this? Uh, who drove it? Was it the politicians? Was it civil society? And how has it affected women in particular and disease? So I have not researched those two countries for my story in depth. You know, I looked at models and who has um, legalized sex work and who has decriminalized it, which is a bit different. Yeah. Um, so I don't I'm not sure, to be honest, who drove it in those countries. But what I do know is when you look at the legislation, it is less progressive. You know, I focused on the Netherlands. That's mm. the model that I know. But 
In Mali, for instance, there are rules about sex workers must carry a certificate that they're STI-free, and if the police stops them, they must be able to take it out, and that still allows for a lot of abuse. Mm. So you get different types of legislation. The most common type of legislation is to make the selling and the buying of sex legal, but not the procurement. In Mm. other words, you can't have brothels and stuff. But in a country like like the Netherlands and also, for instance, in Germany um, and in Vienna, actually, uh, in, in, in Austria, all three aspects are legal. Mm. And studies show that the more aspects that are legal, the lower the HIV infection rates. So so let's go through the different ways in which people uh, look at decriminalization um, and, of course, issues around um, um, the way in which people can access se- uh, sex. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, we will sp- be speaking about just the different ways in which this profession has been decriminalized and which model, of course, works better. 702 WhatsApp Karima on 072-702-1702. 26 minutes to 10 o'clock. This is the Karima Brown Show. And of course, you are listening to 702. We're having a very interesting conversation here about decriminalization of sex work um, and the relationship uh, between that and uh, managing HIV AIDS as well as protecting women, uh, many of whom are sex workers. And we're doing this, of course, in the build up towards um, our National um, World AIDS Day. And of course, that is on Saturday and we're not on air tomorrow. So Thursdays are our Fridays. So we thought it would be a great idea to get the director of the Becky Sisa Health Journalism Center at the Mail and Guardian, Mia Milan, in. And she's written a very beautiful piece on just the different examples of um, how this works, both in Africa and in other parts of the world. So Mia, before the break, we were speaking about the different ways in which decriminalization works and that even in some countries, whilst it's decriminalized, uh, it is still quite prohibitive and quite prescriptive towards women. What kind of different sets of um, arrangements do we have and which works better? So there are four ways in which the world regulates sex work. The one is full criminalization of South Africa is an example where the selling, the buying and the procurement of sex through a pimp or brothel is illegal. Then there is a model called the, um, then you can legalize. Legalize is different from decriminalization. With legalization, the state has more power. It is legal, but it can make rules, special rules for sex work. It's not necessarily treated like any other profession in the country. Then there's something called partial discriminant, uh, discriminalization. And that means that the selling of sex is legal, but the buying is illegal. And that is actually one of the options that our Law Reform Commission recommended. But it's a widely criticized option. Mm. And the reason is if you tell, you can compare it to a bakery. If you tell someone they can they can bake breads, but they can't sell it, it doesn't make the profession safer because it gives the client so much um, power, power because you're going to get the client into trouble, right? And then there is full decriminalization where it means you remove all laws against sex work, adult consensual sex work. Mm. It doesn't mean if it's decriminalized that you can have child sex work or yeah. a, a, a sex work that's not consensual. So the only country in the world where 
all of that has happened is New Zealand and then in parts of Australia it has happened. There's many countries in where it's legal. Not all have the same legal models because some makes the selling and buying of sex legal but not the procurement. That's a very common model. Mm-hmm. And then there are those like ours that makes everything illegal. If you look at studies, if you look at public health outcomes, if that mm-hmm. is what you're looking at, HIV infection rates and STIs, studies show that even if you don't legalize all aspects of sex work. So if you don't do the procurement as Mm. well, you still have significantly lower HIV infection rates. There's a study that I looked at that compared 27 countries and was very obvious. The more aspects you legalized, the lower the HIV infections rates were. And those were countries with comparable HIV um, prevalences in the country, but they also adjusted, you know, for um, socioeconomic circumstances and that sort of thing. So we were comparing apples with apples. Absolutely, yeah. All right, let's take some uh, notes uh, some voice notes from our listeners and also some calls. Uh, let's start with our first voice note. Hi, hi Karima. It's Fia here. Just a quick one on the topic. Um, should sex really be used as a tool uh, that you can use for business? Um, then that speaks to the morality. Then there's many other things that are somewhat illegal uh drugs um we can speak about marijuana so if morally now speaking if we now take this as a a, as acceptable then are we not opening a can of worms to advocate for other things you know so just the moral question Okay, so obviously the moral question, Mia, is the obvious question that comes from the churches, religious groups. Um, I mean, I remember the first time a school tried to do sex education, uh, the parents were outraged because they didn't want their children to know about these things. And and, uh, because I don't think in that way, I I found it outrageous. Um, One of the studies that I always refer to uh, in terms of people's attitude towards sex and young people is that in a place like America, you have very high rates of um, uh, unwanted pregnancies and and kids getting pregnant. And in places like Scandinavia, you have very low rates of of pregnancy. And it's got to do with families' attitudes towards sex. So in the Scandinavian countries, if you date a boy, uh, you go home with the boy and you have sex in your room. You don't have sex in a car or in an alley or in a place where you can be hurt. Um, And the next day, people get up and they have breakfast together and they greet each other and so on. And sex is kind of normalized as part of what adults do uh, when they reach a consensual age, whatever that age is in a country. But in a place like America where, uh, you know, it's uh, very, very conservative, um, uh, sex is seen as something that you can only do if you are legally bound to someone by way of marriage uh, or, or something like that. And yet the, the pregnancy rates are completely, completely different. So, you know, if you look at South Africa with sex education, um, one of the big problems that we face is that teachers themselves are parents and they don't feel comfortable, comfortable. talking yes. to the children about sex. So some schools often have to get in NGOs to actually do the sex education for them because the teachers, and we actually have situations where, where teachers actually have sex with, with, with some learners yes. in the schools, but they don't talk about sex, yes. you know. Yes. So I think it is extremely important to not view 
sex as something dirty, something illegal. I would not compare it with drugs. I think, you know, sex is not something that's bad for you. Mm-hmm. How you use it is up to you. Surely you don't have to use it as a tool if that is not a morally accepted thing for you. And But I don't think we should punish people who decide to use it for that and who look at sex as something that they enjoy and want to make money out of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that You can't just have sex and make money out of it. You must have an environment that is something that supports you to be healthy Mm. because the clients that come to you have wives at home and you're not going to stop them from coming and they're going to transmit HIV to the wider population then. But I really think that we need to drastically rethink in our country when we start with, and I think we start in time on paper in schools with sex education. But what happens is obviously not the right thing Mm. because otherwise we would also not see the teenage pregnancy rates in our country that we see. And also, if you look at key populations, those are groups that um, in the HIV world where HIV infection rates are considerably higher. One of the major groups in South Africa is adolescent girls and young women. Mm. If we were to talk about sex more, um, obviously one of the major figures there is age disparate sex, yes. right? It's the blesser, blessy yes. um, thing. But And obviously poverty has an influence there. But if we were to op- to talk more openly about that, certainly that would have some effect of empowerment yes. on, on our population. But I I think we shouldn't punish someone who views sex um, as something that they can make money from. We should rather create a safe environment. But I also think it's 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 fine to have your moral views, mm. but they shouldn't they shouldn't harm the public health consequences of yes, our country. Absolutely. What you think of sex work is almost irrelevant. Yes. Let's look at the evidence yes. and see what's the best way to regulate it and you don't have to use it. Absolutely. And it's about choice. Uh, and so essentially what one is saying is have the right environment so that people are empowered, uh, so that people are safe, so that people don't die, so that d- people don't give other people illnesses. And you can only have that if you actually uh, decriminalize fully because then you can actually make active interventions and people have agency o- o- over over certain things. I'm I'm sure most marriages won't survive a, a husband coming home to a wife and saying, well, actually on my way, yeah, I had sex with the sex worker, so I just want to kind of tell you, uh, you know, you, those those human relations don't exist really. Um, um, they are very, very rare. So because of that, because uh, a lot of this happens in secret, it is important that from a legal point of view, we really move the veil and we, we, we provide the safety net so that people can actually look after themselves and, and not cause harm, as you say. And I think that's the key issue here. And then I think the other issue for me also, Mia, is that pe- a lot of people think that sex work is about not consenting. Um, and I think there lies, you know, quite a lot of, of misinformation as well. But let's go to Shadrach in Northgate. He's got a question. Shadrach, Good evening. Uh, welcome to the program. What is your question? Yeah, I'm going to be a little bit controversial. I don't discuss these issues, but um, I think sex workers in South Africa are being abused, and not only South Africa, but also across Africa, because I've traveled across Africa. The thing is, if I go to Australia, the sex workers have uh, license. They actually have got tax numbers and actually... The government makes a lot of billions because these people, wherever they do it, they have to claim tax, just like from South African Revenue Service. 
What is happening now is that people are leaving their homes to find a room somewhere else, and they cannot afford it because of lack of social services in this country. That the best thing they can do is find a room of which they can only, due to lack of jobs, can only pay through sex. So I, I just wanted to be very, because I know time is against my time. But what I'm saying is, whether you go in the state, there are escort agencies. You can get escort agents. Somebody's going to come to a room through a legal department. Yes, there are certain places in America where adultery you can be arrested, but not all the states. Mm. Shadrach, thank you so much for raising that. And Shadrach's, of course, uh, talking about the fact that we need to be a bit more frank uh, uh, about this and that, uh, like you say, uh, you need a protective and empowering environment, Mia. The interesting thing is in New Zealand, um, they interviewed sex workers and asked them, what do you do if a client um, requests unsafe sex and mm. for sex work that's illegal? And they said they used the law. They would tell the client, I can't do it. I'm so sorry. It's illegal. Mm. And in Amsterdam, in a brothel that I visited, um, in all brothels, actually, in Amsterdam, there would be a panic button that you mm. can press if a client gets um, abusive. But more than that, there was actually... a posted with house rules in mm. each room in the brothel where I was. And number three of those rules were unsafe sex. On, you know, sex without a condom is not allowed. Um, but there were also things like, we don't allow, if you're intoxicated, you can't have sex mm. with a sex worker. You're not allowed to ask the sex worker to drink alcohol with mm. you. So it makes it easier to, to propagate for those sort of... Um, safety measures and safety rules absolutely we're going to take a short break when we come back we continue our conversation and please keep those calls coming 011 SMS Karima on 31702 it is 12 minutes to 10 o'clock I'm in conversation with Mia Malan she is the director of the Becky Sisa Health Journalism Center at the Mail and Guardian. And she's written a really interesting long form piece about decriminalization of sex work, um, its relationship with the fight against HIV and AIDS, and also the empowerment of women and the fight against violence, gender-based violence against women. And if you are interested in the story, the story will appear in the Mail and Guardian tomorrow. So do go out and get yourself a copy. Um, uh, we were talking, Mia, about the fact that, you know, the more safety mechanisms there are, the more the data actually shows you that you are able to deal with your social crises in, in your societies, whether it is uh, rates of infection, uh, violence, um, whether people are coerced, whether there's trafficking and all of that. So um, if it's that obvious and if it's um, that factually evident, right, um, like you said, you looked at the study of 27 countries and so on. Why do governments still find it so complicated, so hard uh, to essentially go, uh, you know, to, to, to people? My dad comes from a very conservative Muslim family, uh, but he supports the right of women uh, to have agency over their bodies. And he always says to people, um, the right to have an abortion is for those who want to exercise it. We're not saying if you want to have a baby, go and kill it or go and do away with it. If you want to have it, have it. But for those who don't want to, uh, they are allowed to do so and they are allowed to do so without losing their lives in the process. Is it as basic as that? Well, I would like to say yes, because if you 
look at how people, how governments decide what sort of legislation they're going to implement. The key argument that they normally, that, that determines how they, what type of legislation they use mm. is whether they regard sex work as work mm. or not. Mm. And that is largely defined by morals right mm. or how you frame sex work if it's a victim how much agency you would give mm. those people and if i just look at in the media world for instance mm. at becky sisa we um often have done stories that look at the implementation of our abortion mm. law and to look at um you know whether women do have sufficient access and when we do those type of stories and we tweet them out we would get comments back that would say why do you support abortion mm. when the issue is not whether we support abortion is we look at the implementation of a law mm. when we do exactly the same thing with rape that everyone regards as wrong mm. or with access to tb drugs yes. or we don't get any of those arguments yeah. so for sex work i suspect we will get the same sort of you know response from a certain part of society that have different views mm. and the only factor that I can see that is different is morals. Okay, I, I think you're making a very important point. Let's go to Langa, who's in Morningside. Langa, good evening. Welcome good, to the program. Good evening. No, thank you. And I, I just want to keep this really, really short. It was about decriminalization and um, putting my moral stance of on sex work aside, which I have no moral um, uh, sort of I, view on at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Decriminalization has also been shown to work not only in sex work, but also in drug abuse. And I think the most prevalent example is Portugal, um, where in, in more or less 2000, they decriminalized all drugs, mm. um, from cannabis to marijuana, uh, well, the same thing, um, <laughs> and heroin and so on. Yeah. And the use of, of, of drugs fell by nearly 80%. Mm. Um, HIV through you know, um, drug, drug-related abuse also fell. So I think there's a greater, broader discussion that needs to be held here. Yes. And, you know, sort of rounded off, I think personally, um, you know, from a government and policy point of view, because I've been listening to your show the whole evening, I think if we just, if the point of departure is that a government must protect its people, I don't think there can de- therefore be any more discussion about this issue, Absolutely. whether you have a moral, <laughs> a moral, a moral um, aversion to it or not. Governments must protect their people, they must protect their women, and yeah, I, I don't want to be too long, but that's just Langa, what I Langa, I think, I think you're spot on. I couldn't agree more. Uh, Mia, I saw you getting really excited when you made the comparison about drugs. So the interesting thing that I find about the HIV world, which I think is teaching us all a lesson, is HIV is like a mirror of society. It shows up prejudice extremely well mm. and when the listeners spoke about the drug uh, decriminalization mm. i'm not talk. Uh, you know you also get harm reduction in the drug yes. world which also goes along with judgment because um you get programs where you would argue someone who is an injecting drug user is not just going to get over using it and over their withdrawal symptoms and that you should give them methadone, mm. which is a medically prescribed drug and rather let them use it for the rest of their lives and come and fetch it or some of some people manage to then stop using drugs. Yeah. And there's also a moral judgment. Some people don't want to support those programs because they argue, well, you know, why would you encourage the people or mm. why would you condone their drug use? But they don't say this same if someone has diabetes and yes. they now you know dependent on insulin for the rest of their lives yes. they don't call that addiction yeah. um they don't see it as a medical condition they refuse to see it as a medical condition because there's moral judgment involved mm. and i think when we look at that 
through that window of prejudice and uh, and judging people by the way that we believe things should be, we move into a very dangerous environment. There was a doctor in my story, of quite a famous um, reproductive health doctor, Tlalingma for King, who says when prejudice and religious beliefs and morals triumph evidence, mm. you literally look at death. Yes, and I think that's a very powerful way in which to to end this conversation. It's obviously a conversation that we must continue having because in South Africa we have looked death in the face. We've seen our mortality rates dropped. We've seen child-headed households. We've seen grandparents having to raise children. So this is not a conversation that we can run away from. Mia, thank you so very much uh, for coming in and for taking us through and also engaging with our listeners and our callers. And as I said, this article in tomorrow's Mail and Guardian, please do go and get it and get yourself better informed.